born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. So turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 14. We are moving into the portion of Scripture that deals with the subject of Paul on a missionary journey, some of the things that happens to him. And you'll find out there's a lot of similarities between the ministry of the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. And as we said before, you know, Peter, he preached his first sermon, and Paul, he gets to preach his first sermon. And um, Peter, he had a lame man that got healed. Well, we're going to study about the lame man that gets healed by Paul. And you know that uh, Peter had a, um, a person that was a sorcerer, and he had to deal with him. And Paul, he had a sorcerer and had to deal with him, too. A lot of similarities. And um, Apostle Peter, he, well, he had the influence of his shadow, and people could get healed just by that. Paul had the influence of a handkerchief, and people got healed by that. And they both had the laying on of hands where they received the Holy Spirit. A lot of similarities. And uh, the Bible talks about Peter was worshipped. And then you find where the Apostle Paul, and the chapter we're going to read tonight is about him being worshipped. And um, he also had somebody that he raised from the dead, like Peter had Tabitha raised from the dead. And so you remember the guy named Eutychus that was in the window? And he fell out of the window when Paul was preaching, and he got raised from the dead. His name was Eutychus. I said, Eutychus, too, if you'd have fell out of a window. And, uh, but anyway, Peter got imprisoned, and the apostle Paul, well, he got imprisoned. So you see, their ministries were pretty well paralleled. And so um, it's wonderful when you see all of that, and you can see the same things happening. But Peter's ministry was mostly around the place of uh, Jerusalem, and the Apostle Paul around the area of Samaria. And uh, not just Samaria, but I should say Antioch, where they were first named Christians. So take your Bible and look there in the book of Acts and chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And um, we find the work here is in a section that we call the um, uh, Galatia. And uh, when you read the book of Galatians, in Iconium, and Lystra, Antioch, and Derbe, uh, those four main cities. And this is where Paul went and led people to the Lord and got churches established. So he says in verse 1, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. 
and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, and there's that one word, this is all they had to do. It would be easier for people to lead people to the Lord if they knew what they had to do to be saved. And a lot of churches, they teach you got to walk an aisle, or you got to sign a card and pledge and promise and quit and do. And so a person doesn't know if they're saved until they do all of those things. And so there's a lot of confusion. It's hard for people to witness when they're not sure what you've got to tell people. And if you're not sure of your own salvation, it's kind of hard to convince somebody else. It's hard for an unlit candle to light another candle. But you and I should know how to explain the gospel to somebody else. I was at a restaurant the other day, and me and Betty sitting there, you know, minding our own business, and this little waitress, she comes up there, may I help you? And I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, I say, I, I want a half a cup of coffee. And because I, I hate it when they bring me a whole cup of coffee. And because I drink so slow, well, it gets cold. And I would rather them make twice as many trips and keep it hot so that I drink my coffee. So anyway, she walked off and then she came back and said, may I take your order, please? And I said, I said, by the way, no. Nah. I says, I got three questions I want to ask you. Real simple answers. I said, but I'm not going to ask you right now when you have time. And I just dropped it. I thought, well, she'll never ask me. So anyway, we, she took our order, and then she uh, brought the food, and me and Betty ate, and got ready to leave, and she brought, uh, y'all would call it a check. I said, can I cash that? And it's a bill. I said, that's not a check. But anyway, uh, they always bring it and then lay it down there. I said, do I pay you or do I pay the pay? She said, oh, you pay me. I said, okay. So um, I pull out the money to give to her, and I said, well, it don't look like we have the time to ask you those three questions. She said, well, well what are the three questions? She, she had to know. She was so curious. <laughs> and the people have been packed in there. And she said, well, what are, what are those three questions? I said, well, now, isn't it true that you've heard all your life that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for all the sins of the world? Haven't you heard that? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I said, now think about this now. Question number two. If he paid for all the sins of the world, all of them, then why should you and I have to go to hell and pay for one sin if he paid for all of them? I don't know. I says, God says, because we don't believe he did it for us. I says, if you'll believe that he did it for you, he puts that payment that he made to your account, you get to go to heaven. I says, do you understand? She said, yes. I says, do you really understand what I'm saying? She said, yes, I do. I says, right now, will you trust Christ to take you to heaven when you die? She said, yes, I will. And so, now you can't do that if you believe they've got to do something else. If you believe they've got to turn from their sins to be saved, you're going to have to convince them they've got to turn from their sins. So now you've got to talk to them about what sin they've got to turn from. And if they do have to turn from how many? And if they do have to promise God they've got to live for the Lord, and they've got to commit their life to Christ, well, now, see, you're getting into the area of you have to promise how you're going to live. See, none of that has anything to do with salvation. To Christian life, yes, but not salvation. Salvation is free. All they have to do is believe that what Christ did was for them and accept that. And God said he would give them as a free gift, everlasting life. So as you read through, you'll find out in the book of Acts, it's always talking about they heard, they believed, they believed, they believed. But most places where he went, there was also this problem. Not everybody believed. Not everybody was excited. Well, look there in verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews 
stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds, and you ought to underline these two words, evil affected. Now, you can't tell me that people's minds cannot be evil affected toward you. I've had believers' minds evil affected toward me. Some people that you've led to the Lord, challenged to serve the Lord, can just as quickly turn on you, and you don't have to do a cotton-picking thing to them, and they don't know why they're doing that. Because there's things that can be said, and the devil is alive and well on planet Earth. And I think most of the time, all the devils, they seem like they must hide out of the churches. And sometimes the devil loves to get involved in music. And if he can capture a person's mind with music, he can lead them. And as the music goes, so goes the nation. As the music goes, so goes the church. As the music goes, so goes the individual. As the music goes, so goes the home. So music is very, very important. But listen to the right stuff. But notice what he says here in verse 2. He says, their minds evil affected against the brethren, against the believers. The book that I'm writing right now concerning the Dora Lake story of people who heard the gospel for the first time and how that other people who thought they were believers, the Christians, turned on these new ones and, I mean, really ripped them to shreds. Talking about family against family, it really caused a lot of hardship. And this happened up in Minnesota years ago, over 40 years ago. But now look what he says in verse 3. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. Now, you ought to take those two words, speaking boldly. That was something that they also prayed for when Peter was there. And it says that they could speak boldly. So we're talking about speaking boldly. Speaking boldly is speaking like you really believe it. Speak like you really believe what you're saying. Don't speak apologetically. Don't witness like you're ashamed to witness, like you're afraid to witness. Be bold. Say the truth. Put it out there. He says, And they spoke boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace. Grace is what the message of salvation is all about. And to teach the Gospel saved by grace and not of works and so forth. Uh, look over there in chapter 15. Since we're so close, we're in chapter 14, but in chapter 15, look what he says there in verse 11 of chapter 15. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, the Jews, shall be saved even as they, the Gentiles, so that Jews and Gentiles are both saved the same way. See, some people think that some people were saved by the law, and others are saved another way. No, everybody's saved the same way, by faith in what Christ did on the cross for them. And God saves you and gives you eternal life. All right, now go back there to verse 3 in chapter 14. He said, which gave testimony to the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And this was to put the stamp of approval upon the message that the disciples had been given. And so uh, it was uh, the validity of it. Verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided. The multitude of the city. Now, in another place, it talks about, and the whole city came together, wanted to hear the gospel. And here, they're divided. Not everybody you witness to is going to be the same way. Not every area is the same I've gone fishing in a lot of places, and sometimes you think, I'm not going to catch anything here, and I catch a nice one. I'm talking about people. No. I'm not talking about real fish. I don't usually catch a lot of fish. I'm not a good fisherman. 
I just do what somebody tells me, and, and, and that's about the way it goes. But when it comes to catching fish, or the other kind of fish, you know, like follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, you don't always have the same amount in some areas as you in other areas. One time they called up down at Florida Bible College and they wanted somebody that would go up there and speak at the Youth Detention Center in North Florida. And um, they had the, uh, the uh, spokesman. Uh, they were going to go, but they needed somebody that would just give the gospel. Well, I volunteered. So we drove all the way to North Florida. And we would go in there and there's all these teenagers. These teenagers. And there's about 500 teenagers in this meeting. And, of course, they had never heard these, the spokesman, and they were good. And these four guys could come out there, and Don Smith, he was the number one bass player in America, in high school in America, and the guy had a big old stand-up bass, and Buddy, he could just, he had to be all over that thing. And these other guys, they, they wrote some of the songs that they sung. And boy, they blended so beautiful. And this was back then when you could get into the jails and detention centers and, you know, nursing homes and schools. We got in schools. Ray Stanford got in over 300 high schools. In Colorado, I got in some of the high schools. And um, that's how I met uh, uh, Greg Steer's brother. It, it, he got me into a high school. And uh, it, was just, it was just awesome. But anyway, I gave the gospel and to have almost it was easy to see how many didn't raise their hand. And out of about 450 or 500, it seemed like it was about 50 of them that didn't raise their hand. I mean, they're all over, and you just couldn't believe it. You said, that's not for real. If a man makes the gospel clear, and I, you ask a person, will you trust Christ as your Savior? And they said, yes, I will. What right does anybody else have to say, no, you didn't? If they say they will, what right does anybody have to say, you didn't really mean it? You weren't genuine. How do you know they weren't genuine? If they're lying, they're lying. But you don't know they're lying. I trusted Christ as my Savior, which I wasn't in a church. It's just my father presented it to me, and it made sense, and I believed it. And I was saved that night. Now, what was going to be the proof or the evidence so somebody could really know it? Did I shout, jump, hoop, holler, kick my heels together, lightning bolts strike? You know, chills run up down my spine. <laughs> Nothing happened. It was a dud. As far as visible evidence. But the reason I know I was saved is because I believe what he said. And all you have to do is believe it. And when you believe it, God saves you, gives you eternal life. Best news in all the world. But not everybody will believe it. That's what you need to understand. And see, unless you witness to people occasionally, you will never have these experiences where you... Find out that there's people just like this. What they went through is exactly what you and I will go through today. So he says here in verse 4, But the multitude of the city was divided and held uh, uh, with the Jews, part of it, and part with the apostles. So the, the gospel is divisive. It really is. It splits up homes. I've had parents get mad at their kids because the kids trust the Lord and want to serve the Lord. And the parents can't stand it. Or sometimes the mother or the dad will trust the Lord, and the kids don't trust the Lord. And so they can't stand their parents. It's, just, it's a very divisive thing. And yet Jesus says, I come not to bring peace, but to bring a sword, to separate husband and wives and kids and all that stuff. You think, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. I remember in the book of Luke, you know, peace and good tidings. What happened to 
peace and good tidings to all men. And then he says, I didn't come to bring peace. What? Is there a contradiction in the Bible? There's no contradiction. You see, the peace that comes is to those who accept Christ as their Savior, that understand who he is and why he came. And at the same time where it may bring peace and joy to anyone that will believe it, it also divides. And one day, there won't be anybody except believers. Because one day, we're going to win. And everybody that will be with the Lord for all eternity will only be believers. But look what it says here. In verse 5, And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews, with their rulers... So sometimes there is something that causes people to work together when they have a common enemy. Now they have a common enemy. So the Jews and the Gentiles and the leaders, all of them together, they had one common enemy. It happened to be the Apostle Paul. He says, and they used them despitefully and to stone them. They were aware of it, and they fled. It did not say that they fought back. Now me, I don't know what I would have done. Somebody throw a stone at me, I'm allowed to pick up the stone and throw it right back at them. Maybe that's why God wouldn't let me, you know, go through some of the stuff they did. But I don't know. I'm not got older now, and I might be able to, you know, have a little bit more discipline in my life. I remember one of our missions teachers, Dr. Robert uh, Miller. He'd been a missionary down in Ecuador and also in Cuba. And he tells about some of the experiences down in Ecuador, how the people threw stones at him. And I thought, man, alive. I wonder if I'll ever deserve to have somebody throw stones at me. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the way you're supposed to think, but I thought, well, will I ever be that good of a missionary, a preacher, that they'll throw stones at me? Now, I would say things like that to Betty, and she would say, oh, yeah, you don't say stuff like that. <laughs> Betty's dad would say, oh, I can't believe this guy. I didn't want to miss out on anything. You know, I want to go through all the experiences. But the older I get, the, you know, I can, I can forfeit it, I guess, you know. Don't have to experience everything. But he makes a statement here in verse 6. They were aware of it, and they fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And look in verse 7. What did they do when they couldn't do it where they were? There they preached the gospel. So it was a new opportunity. Can't do it here? Or go to another city. Can't do it there? Then go someplace else. You witness to this person, they don't want to hear it? Okay, go to the next person. Don't try to force the gospel on anybody. You can't make a person see. You can't make a person hear. You can't make a person trust Christ as Savior. That's why we call it soul winning. Winning a soul to the Lord. You see, you and I, we can't use force. All we can use is love. And love is a powerful force. But that has to be something that's done because of their own volition. You cannot force that or make that happen. Now look in verse 8. There are similarities that I mentioned to you before. And verse 8, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet. It means he was helpless, that he was weak. He could not walk. Being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped And he walked. When the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Laconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. The gods are come down. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't you like to be worshipped as a god? 
I think you need to be careful. Always remember, you're nothing but a man. You're still just a man. And I've mentioned this before. It doesn't matter who the fastest man in the world is. He's still just a man. The greatest golfer in the world, but he's still just a man. The greatest boxer in the world, uh, he's still just a man. Doesn't matter what else. They're still just a man. And they all die. I was told that they talked about this here, Whitney Houston, that she was known as the voice. She still died. They still die. Because of how great you are, or if you don't consider yourself anything, everybody, we're just people. We're born, we live, and we die. And they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas, and they had to stop them. So in verse 12, and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, he says, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands, garland is just reef of flowers, unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passion with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities, these worthless things, unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So they were trying to convince them, look, we're just people just like you. But we want you to turn to the true and living God, not to us, to the Lord. And he says in verse 16, Who in time past suffered or permitted all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. And that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. In other words, everybody's a sinner. And everybody has gone their own way. You read that in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, and everybody in every nation, everybody does their own thing. And God will let you go your own way. But he still demands that every one of us go his way. But he'll permit you to go your own way. You can accept the truth or you can rebel against the truth. So the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I once went my own way. And most everybody else in the whole world, if they trusted Christ as Savior at one time, you were a sheep going the wrong way. And you heard the truth, and you trusted Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ is the way. And everybody wants to go to heaven has to go through him. No man cometh unto the Father except through him. And he says in verse 17, Nevertheless he left not himself without witness, in that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven. In other words, regardless of all the people on the earth that went their own way, isn't God still good to us? He still lets everybody enjoy some sunshine, some rain, good health, air to breathe, and gives you pretty much a good life. And he says he, it rains on the just and the unjust. And the reason that God is so good is because the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Hold your place right here and look over there in the book of Romans. The book of Romans in chapter 2. In chapter 2. And just look there in verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgeth. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. 
In other words, whenever you point out somebody else's sins, you got some because everybody's a sinner. So you can always see the sins in everybody else's life, but it's most difficult to see them in your own life. So he says, you're guilty of the same thing. In verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. In other words, there is a God who is going to judge all of us. In verse 3, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgeth them which do such things, and doeth the same? You ought to underline this part of the verse. That thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Just because some people live better than other people doesn't mean you're going to escape the judgment of God. Because you don't escape the judgment of God just because you live better than somebody else. You see, there is a, a thing that God has done for all of us and all that we need to do and all that we can do is to accept Christ as our Savior. But He has things that He does and what He reveals. And so as you read the second chapter, now the first chapter talks about how that the world God made. And then in chapter 2 talks about the conscience of man that can use reason. And the word of God that uses revelation that God revealed. So the world and the word is what reveals these things to us. So that you and I have a conscience. And the thing that reveals to you and I that we are accountable to a God is because you and I are capable of discernment. That's why we are able to judge somebody as being right and wrong. He says that which you're able by your own conscience to judge whether somebody's right or wrong, you have given to God the evidence that he needs that you can discern. And that's written down there in verse 15, but I'll show you that in just a second. But look up at verse of all. Verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that... And here's a phrase you ought to mark in your Bible. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance or to a change of mind. You see, God is good even to the lost man. God is good even to the wicked man. Because God wants to use his goodness to draw men to him. And so he says, but in verse 5, After the hardness and impenitent heart treasures up into thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. So you see, God is going to judge every man according to his work, what he says, what he thinks, what he does, to those people who have never trusted Christ as Savior. And so because of that, there is going to be this judgment by the Lord upon every individual. But if you think that you can, by your life, live good enough to attain unto eternal life, do it. But you'll find out that no one has, no one can. So in verse 7, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life, seek it and see if you can find it by your works, but you never will. And so he says, every man, in verse 9, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, Jew first, also to the Greek. So every man's going to be judged, verse 10, Glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, Jew first, also Gentile. So it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. If you can, by your works, attain unto righteousness, so be it. But the Bible already tells us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You'll find that in the very next chapter. The consummation of the matter 
No man is able to live good enough. So the law shows that the Jew doesn't qualify. And the revelation of man's conscience shows that man does not qualify. So that regardless whether you're Jew or Gentile, God uses the law, the world, the conscience, what he's placed in the heart of man. You cannot, by your works, justify yourself. That's why everybody needs a Savior. Is it possible to trust Christ as my Savior without making him Lord of my life? Is it true that if Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book. Or write by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.